Welcome to Deharmonizing with your hosts, Josh Harlick and Andrew Moe, two guys from deep in the heart of Texas, deliberating, meditating, and contemplating the things they like. Your source for all things pop culture. Well, excuse me! I'm a rambling guy. Well, I'm rambling, rambling round. I'm a rambling guy. Free. Ramble out to the Muppet Show. Oh, yeah. Meet all the Muppets. Oh, yes. 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 Oh, no. Welcome to Deharmonizing, episode two. As always, I'm your host, Josh, with also my host, Andrew. <laughs> hey, Josh. How are you this morning? Good, Andrew. How are you, man? Doing good. Today's episode, which we're excited to get to, is about the one, the only, the wild and crazy guy himself, Steve Martin. And, and Andrew, you're, you're a really big fan of Steve Martin as well, right? Always been a big fan. But, you know, you and your brother are the ones that really convinced me of the greatness of Steve Martin. Y'all had a stand-up record of his, didn't y'all? We did. We had a couple of them, actually. Um, Comedy is Not Pretty is the one, the first one I think we had. And, um, you know, we owned a lot of his stuff, and we were big fans of his. Um, and, you know, so later on, just after we go through the, our, our initial segment, um, I'll go into why. Why did we choose Steve Martin? Um, and I think there's a lot to talk about, a lot of fun things to go over, and just basically to reminisce about the greatness of Steve Martin. This day in history! So it's Sunday, April 22nd, 2018, and 40 years ago today, John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd made their first appearance as the Blues Brothers on NBC's Saturday Night Live. People often thought Steve Martin was a member of the cast for a few years because he was on so much. How many so times much. was he on? That's, that's a good question, but I imagine he's probably number one. He's right up there with Tom Hanks and John Goodman and Alec Baldwin, right? Like, like yeah. they, that's that club that they've hosted. Probably, he's probably hosted fifteen times. I'm sure. I always think of the Five Timers Club episode when yes. Tom Hanks. That's exactly what I was thinking of when I said that. So April twenty second, not just that, but there was a couple other things that happened on on April twenty second, um, including the birth of. Quite a legend, Jack Nicholson, 81 years old today. He was born 1937. So Jack Nicholson's birthday is today, April 22nd. What's your favorite Jack Nicholson movie? A favorite Jack Nicholson movie that's really, really hard. I mean, it's he's classic in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Look, look, the chief put his hand up. The chief put his hand up. Look, he voted. Would you please turn the, would you please turn the television set on? Into the television. The chief please. has got his Come hand on, up right there. Get in. Chief voted. Now, will you please turn the television set on? Mr. McMurphy, the meeting was adjourned and the vote was closed. The vote was 10 to 8. The chief, he's got his hand up. Look. No, Mr. McMurphy, when the meeting was adjourned, the vote was 9 to 9. 
Ah, oh, come on, you're not gonna say that now. You're not gonna say that now. You're gonna pull that hen house shit now. When the vote the chief just voted, it was 10 to 9. Now, I want that television set turned on right now! It's, you know, he's still young. He's got all that energy. I mean, he never really let go of the energy, honestly. So just an excellent actor. I would say that has to be, if I'm th talking the span of his career, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Classic. And see, I would say The Shining, like I would think, and I guess when they're doing his retrospective, what's the, and it, it could very well be One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. That's a hard one because you have that one, you have The Shining, because The Shining's in there too. Um, and I'm trying to think, what's, what's his other sort of um, iconic, gosh, we're probably missing... I mean, A Few Good Men is pretty iconic. A Few Good Men is extremely iconic. You know, You Can't Handle the Truth. That's him. Um, yeah. All right. Here's how many times do you think he's been nominated for Best Actor? I am going to say, I'm going to guess six. Six. You're really close. He's been nominated eight times. Eight. He's won twice. He's won twice. He won for One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, and he won for As Good As It Gets. As Good As It which Gets. I totally forgot about that movie. Yeah. That's a good movie. Yeah, it is a good movie. Um, the other nominees, the other nominations, Five Easy Pieces, haven't seen it. The Last Detail, haven't seen it. Chinatown, saw it, it's good. One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, Pritzy's Honor, haven't seen it. Have you seen that one? Uh, Pritzy's Honor, yeah, a long time ago. The last detail is really good. It features a young Randy Quaid. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, it's re really. Yeah, and it's it's extremely 70s and not just in the way it looks, it's in the way the filmmaking is done. You know, I I, th I think there was a really I, that's mm -hmm. my, one of my favorite periods in filmmaking is in the 70s because there was sort of a grittiness to everything and the way stories were told were not necessarily yes, just yes. it wasn't A B and C, you know, it would it would just be a very they would just keep the stories character-based, and I miss that time period. I really do. No, I totally agree with you. Um, and then About Schmidt was the other one he was nominated for. About that Schmidt. That was his most yeah, recent. Yeah, About Schmidt, which is also a really great movie. It sort of has a subtle sense of humor, directed by Alexander Payne. Um, hmm. It's, 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 it's a really good one. Yeah. Really? All right. So one other big milestone, or I guess more of an anniversary today... Um, Prince, you remember Prince? I do remember Prince. Did you know the Prince is dead. He is. Prince is dead, Josh. He is. He just ruined I my know. Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Prince released "Around the World in a Day" uh, on this day back in 1985, which was his follow-up to "Purple Rain." Speaking of, have you heard his version of "Nothing Compares to You"? I believe it was just released. Um, and no, it's on, yeah, not. it's on either spot. I, I, I have Apple streaming. Um, mm -hmm. it is not as good in my opinion as the Sinead O'Connor version, just because probably because I'm biased and I've heard that one so many times and it, it's a little bit more haunting. This one is a little bit more just a straightforward song, but you have to hear it because it's just weird hearing him sing it. Well, did he... Did he write that specially for her, or was that something he recorded for himself and then gave it to her, or did she cover it? That's an excellent question and probably worth some research. I don't know how it came about. I, I uh, had always assumed that he wrote it for her, but because there's a recorded version, now it makes me think like he recorded it and she either covered it or he passed it along to her. That's a good, yeah. that, that's a good song. 
Man, whatever happened to her, though, huh? Yeah, she, I think, was always an oddball and just, for whatever reason, just, uh, you know, went into an odd zone. <laughs> Maybe she went into an odd zone. <laughs> yeah, she's out there. Um, yeah, she she put an ad out for dating, I remember, at one point. Like, she couldn't find anyone to I, date. How much do you think Sinead O'Connor is worth? I'm going to go with it because she might have some kind of royalty or legacy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say uh, $20 million. $100,000, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I was way off. Oh, dear. I guess I just give people too much credit. <laughs> she's worth she's worth she's worth six figs baby six figs six figures um, that's pretty good i mean I, that's cool <laughs> that's enough to get starbucks um, every morning and uh you know <laughs> it's sad to think about Sinead o'connor eating alone in a chinese restaurant three times a week i can eat my dinner in a So why why Steve Martin? I mean, we could choose anybody, and you know, we'll certainly on this show throughout time we'll discuss a lot of different characters. But why Steve Martin right now? Well, uh, he's for one, Andrew and I are both from Waco, Texas, uh, born and raised, and so was Steve Martin. Now he he I, th- I believe he moved uh, when he was about five years old. But to my brother Jared and I, um, that meant something. You know, we were always into entertainment, music, and film. And seeing someone who came from a small town like Waco and, you know, was able to, you know, make it, so to speak, the way we thought of, uh, you know, success in the entertainment industry was exciting. You know, that's what we wanted to do. Um, So it was inspirational. Um, It was also interesting, too, Andrew. I don't know if you knew this. His uncle... Um, his uncle has since passed away, but he still had an uncle in Waco and my grandfather knew him very well. Um, his uncle, I think his name is uncle B- uh, Bill. He owned a place called standard Hatworks. Do you remember standard Hatworks at all? I don't, I don't. It was really, um, know, and I didn't know, I didn't know he had an uncle that still lived in Waco. That's crazy. I had I never, never knew that. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the place is called standard Hatworks. It was really, um, like cowboy hats. So I know you and I really weren't mm-hmm. into that. We were more rock and roll, so we wouldn't have really walked in there at random. But my grandfather mm-hmm. knew him because my grandfather knew a lot of people in Waco. I had been there, you know, for, for many, many years. And he basically went to his uncle and said, can you get autographed photos of Steve Martin for my three grandchildren? Me, uh, my brother Jared, and my sister Alyssa. And he did. And I still have it to this day. Um, you know, he, So uh, cool. Where yeah. do you have it? Where do you have it in your house? Well, you know, I just have it in a frame. I don't have it out because I don't have a lot of memorabilia. Mm-hmm. So in my judgment, it would be odd to have one 
single photo of Steve Martin and nothing else, <laughs> just sitting in a corner. Like, what? You don't yeah. even collect this stuff, you know? But um, I have yeah. it in a closet, but I still, you know, really, every time I see it, I mean, obviously it brings up a lot of memories. So he was a childhood idol That's of really mine. That's really cool. It is really cool. It's it's a, a different connection than I've ever had to a celebrity, and certainly one that means more than just the photo itself. No matter what you think about him right now, obviously he's gotten older and he's not doing the same type of comedy that he used to do. But when he became famous, he was a cultural phenomenon. I mean, it was basically out of nowhere comes this guy who is, it seemingly looks goofy and easy to do. But you know the guy had to mold that thing for years before anyone really caught on. He paid his dues. He, you know, whether it was writing for other shows. Uh-huh appearing in some you know really low budget type films to kind of get a start i mean he i mean i think he was i think he grinded it out for a long time yeah he did you know and he you know certainly you know paid his dues like anybody else but truthfully you know he um came about at a time it was basically the vietnam war when he started to get popular it was that backdrop so if you think about steve martin and i've seen him say this in interviews he would think it's such a serious time and every comic was doing certainly topical things. Everybody was going to talk about the war, right? That's what, that's what people would do. And so he's like, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to be fun and just crazy and just interesting. And, um, I'm gonna, he, he played, he basically turned the coin over and went the other way and he stood out. There was nobody like him after that. And, and, and I, I think that that right there shows a little bit of a genius at work. Someone who knows how to manipulate uh, his crowd to like him for different reasons than what was going on socially. Let me ask this. So banjo, uh, magician, stand-up, you know, writer, did you get, do you get the sense that he, like many other people who want to become famous, that he was trying it all. Like, I'm, you know, I don't know how I'm going to get my big break. So I'm going to be proficient at everything or as, at, at, as many things as possible. And maybe there's a niche that I can build around that. Or maybe somebody, maybe, maybe one of these things will be in demand at some point that will get me into what I really want to do, which is acting or whatever the case may be, is that, or did, did he just have a love for it and just was like, I like to play banjo, so I'm going to do that. And I, I like to do magic tricks and I want to, you know what I'm saying? Like, I wonder yeah. what his thought process was when he was in his room as a teenager, what was going through his head? Was it, Hey, if I can be a bluegrass musician, then that's, that's a way into the scene. Or if I'm going to be a magician who's charging you know, X amount for birthday parties and big events, then that's my way into the scene. I mean, I wonder what was going through his head while he was honing his craft, so to speak. My guess is because, um, I don't know if you, you knew this, but he moved away from Waco when he, I think when he was about five years old and went to California. And the reason he and his family did that was because his father was a, a wannabe actor. Um, mm. and he went, yeah, so he, they moved to California to do that. Um, and so I think just his father was working and, you know, trying to do that. And there was a sort of a natural tendency for Steve to do that. Not that his father 
was overly talented. And I don't know much about his father if he if he ever worked or you know did anything. But he wanted to do that stuff, and there was a, a rivalry between them for years. Um, in fact, from what I understand, I think straight from Steve Martin, you know, they didn't speak for a while because there was a his father was oddly jealous of him once he got famous. You know, <laughs> it was really weird. Yeah. You know, they had to have a father who. Yeah, it it might be odd, but I think it's human nature when you're working your tail off at something and you really want to be good at it. And then you see somebody else who appears anyway to have just a natural ability or gift and passes you up. I mean, that's, I can see that being a little bit, uh, grating. What, what would you call it? The Amadeus syndrome? Stockholm syndrome? Yeah. <laughs> Amadeus, Amadeus syndrome. syndrome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I true. have this desire and want, and you can do it so easily and so much better than me. That's, that's going to frustrate me a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, on his <laughs> on his father's deathbed, and I think this is true. I'd have to re-verify this, but on his deathbed, or at least close to death, his father said basically to Steve Martin, you did what I wanted to do. And that's kind of where they came to this understanding of why this... They didn't really vocalize it, but sadly, that's um, that's kind of the, the, the core problem between the two. Um, and then he started making comedy shorts. Uh, he made something called The Absent-Minded Professor. Have you seen that? The Absent-Minded Professor? It's about a... I have not. No. It's it was, a, no, I've, I've heard about it. I've never seen it. It's it ve- Yeah, it's very Steve Martin. I think you can find it online pretty easily. Um, it's just, a, I think it's like a 10-minute thing. Um, and it's extremely early Steve Martin. And you'll see why when you watch it. Really fun. Pretty, pretty goofy short. Um, and does then, it have? Let me ask you this. I've never since I've never seen it. Mm-hmm. Does it? Does it? Do you get the? Do you see the future of Steve Martin in that in that short? Like, do you see? Does it? Does he have all of his components sort of realized at that oh, yeah. point, or is he still sort of? No, no, no. It's definitely right before he really basically blows up as a as a popular gotcha. comedian. Yeah, so it's right. It's right in that zone. You know, um, really funny, just a very goofy short. And then he, um, first feature film he was ever in, which ties us back to last ep- episode, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. You, 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 you reminded me of that one. Sergeant yeah. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club <laughs> Band. Uh, um, Maxwell Silverhammer. Maxwell Silverhammer, that's right. He played, we, he played Maxwell. What a, what a weird... <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know how that that came about <laughs> as big a, as big of a Beatle fan as I am as obsessed about the Beatles as I am and have been I can I have never been able to make my way all the way through that movie it's just awful yeah have you ever tried <laughs> how many times have you tried to watch it I, I would say probably just twice you know I know very early <laughs> on I did and then I, I you know obviously with the advent of uh, YouTube you know going back to it and just I just I, I couldn't imagine spending that time sitting down and getting through it. <laughs> it's it is if you watch that movie, I think the ten minutes with Aerosmith, and I'm a big Aerosmith fan, so maybe I'm a little bit biased, but um, they have a death scene, like they get killed in the movie. Um, Steven Tyler and Joe Perry, they get like thrown off a cliff or something, <laughs> and and they and and they <laughs> and they perform come together. I think that's the best part of the movie without a doubt because it's it's real raw and dark and kind of like 
little more it's, it's a little spookier than the rest of the movie so which Aerosmith is they're kind of dark and raw anyway uh-huh. so I think they actually they're the they're the hot in my opinion they're the highlight of the movie but that's a that's not saying that I mean that's not saying much because it's a pretty it's a pretty rough movie I'm sure many people have wanted to kill Steven Tyler at one time or another <laughs> he, I bet he's been pushed off a cliff before I'm just kidding <laughs> yeah or at least the stage you know <laughs> shut up shut up <laughs> he actually has been p- pushed off the stage. He has. Joe Perry. You're, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, but uh, he had it coming, so it's okay. This was the enemy. FVB. Future villain band. As we all know about Steve Martin, his career started with The Jerk, and fast forward to now and think about the movies he's in now, his career has just changed. You know, the type of comedy he's done has changed, um, which is no fault no fault to him. You know, that's kind of the way it should work. But So we start with The Jerk, right? Uh, which I think is, I think people would think, I mean, he's amazing in that. In my opinion, I think it might be his first big performance might be his best performance. This might be the, this, I mean, there's others. Well, I don't know. That's, that's a tough debate, but I think that the jerk is, I mean, that's, that's the role that he, if you take everything out, that's enough right there. You know? Yeah. From that time frame, um, it's what he's known for. And it's very Still, Steve Martin, yeah. right? If that makes any sense at all. Very Steve yeah. Martin. I mean, who can't? Yeah. How, what do you think about that scene where, like, uh, that guy's shooting at him and it's hitting, and he's like, "He hates these cans." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's real, real weird, but just, just, um, it's so far into goofy that it's really funny. <laughs> yeah, and it's, um, I don't know, like Carl Reiner, I think, uh, is a comedic genius too, in, in a way, and I wonder if. Carl Reiner ever just sort of got on his knees and thanked the fact that he was able to get Steve Martin in that movie because I don't know how well that movie would have I don't know if that movie is as great as it is with anybody else in that role really yeah you would have to have a very specific type of person and it could have been a disaster I mean think about the movie it could have been so stupid just a movie that came and went and just like is one of those movies that it's like a cult favorite because it's so dumb. It could have been one of those. I think it's really an interesting time for him because, you know, he did, um, so he has The Jerk, um, Dead Men Don't Wear a Plaid, The Lonely Guy, Man with Two Brains. I mean, they're all in that same odd humor that he basically got famous for. The Lonely Guy, I think, is brilliant. Um, And it's probably, I think it's pretty, it's not very well known. The Lonely Guy is one of my favorites, and I—that's a movie that I didn't even know existed until you showed it to me. However, yeah. it was you know when we were teenagers or whatever, so you know, fifteen, twenty years ago. But I didn't know anything about—I didn't know that movie existed until you were like, "Well, have you seen The Lonely Guy?" And I said, "No." Um, Neil Simon, right? Is that a Neil Simon movie? I believe you- Neil Simon. Wrote, wrote it. the wrote it and then Arthur Hiller directed it and I I I can't remember Arthur Hiller has been involved in other movies that I I can't remember at the moment um, yeah. but uh, extremely extremely funny um, and oddly uh, 
oddly funny for being so obscure. Um, yeah. I, it's got an interesting... And it, and it sort of has a little bit of heart to it. I mean, albeit a little bit um, um, surface-level heart, but nonetheless, I think it's a really... A lot, a lot of really funny lines from that movie, and I've seen it probably 30, 50 times. I don't even know. Yeah, I, um, I've seen it a lot too, and I think that that one gets overlooked. And I, I guess I kind of understand why, only because there's just so much to. If you're if you're doing a top ten Steve Martin performances, it probably is hard to kind of get that one in there when you think about all the other ones that are so great. But yeah. Yeah. I I think my person it's one of my personal favorites. Uh, there's without without a doubt, I put that in my top five easily. Definitely easily so. in my top five. Now the man with two brains. That's a very unique one, and it's 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 what it's what we've called. You and I have coined this term. I think along with my brother Jared, uh, a headache movie. Um, <laughs> so it's very funny. It is very funny though, um, and I think it, I think it. Along the line, if you go back and watch it, if it's been a while, Andrew, you know, I think you would agree that there definitely is some funny moments in there. But the just the way <laughs> the stuff that happens and the type of movie it is, it can almost be a headache movie. <laughs> I I can't. I've never seen it. It's very funny, and I think if you watch it and gave it a chance, you'd, you'd come back and go, "Okay, it had some good stuff in it. it had some good stuff." Okay, I'm putting that on the um, list. I will watch that one. Good, good, good. Okay, so after this period. It starts to shift a little bit the the way things are going the the way the mm-hmm. um, he's the choices he's making. So now what he gets are we into up to things right like now, about eighty mid eighties. Are we mid eighties yet? At this I, I think point? we're about it. We're about at mid eighties because he's about okay. to go into Three Amigos. Mm-hmm. You know, Little Shop of Horrors. Mm-hmm. Um, planes, trains, and automobiles. Parenthood. Roxanne. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's like a mid level point to his career when you can tell he's sort of getting the sensibility that you know he wants to still be funny but he also wants to be a little bit more focused and interesting and not just like i'm a wild and crazy guy he's trying to make choices there's more to it there's real story a real story here maybe it's an ensemble cast that he's a part of so he doesn't have to he's not just him being goofy steve martin right which i totally get right he wants to do that for the rest of their lives so Three Amigos, I saw it in the theater. Just awesome ensemble cat. You've got that was the first time I ever saw Martin Short, who is super mm-hmm. funny. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't know him before then. Yeah, I didn't either. We had never met. Um, I uh, all those years that you did SCTV and I was doing SNL, but we had never met. Before we had never that. met, and then um, they they were uh, you know we were wondering if I was interested in Three Amigos, which of course I was. It was my first movie, and I went. You know, I have this kind of Rain Man memory. It was May fourth, nineteen eighty five. Yeah, I went to his old house in Bedford Drive. Yeah, and I remember I walked in, and it was like so beautiful, and there were Picassos on the wall and hoppers, and I said to him. How did you get that rich? Because I've seen your work. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then I was struck with how pale he was in person. I'm not no, pale. It was like, no, it was like I was being haunted suddenly. End of part one. Intermission.